thank you to all you moms out there. I have my mother is serving in uh, kids ministry today. Uh, my mother-in-law is here, and of, uh, of course my wife, uh, who is the mother of our children, is here. So happy Mother's Day, and uh, glad to celebrate with you. As I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about a time that I encountered, encountered a mother. I was up in the Boundary Waters, and um, we had just gotten to an island that we thought we would settle in on. And so we went out exploring and started walking along the shoreline. And I came around the corner of a bend, and there, on the ground, I could see a bunch of moose tracks. I looked up from the moose tracks to see a mama moose and her baby moose standing about six feet away from me in the edge of the woods, trying to blend in. My heart started to pound, and I slowly backed up. Because I knew that that mama moose was going to do whatever she had to to protect her young. Well, moms can do amazing things. They can be amazing people. And for some of you, today is a day of celebration because you know a mom, you had a mom who's phenomenal. And you're celebrating that. Some of you are celebrating because you're becoming a mom or you are a mom and you're thinking about all the wonderful things that go along with that. And we want to celebrate with you. But as Sandy has also said, for some of us today, it's a day of grieving because the mom, we didn't, we wished we had a different mom, or maybe our mom has passed away and this is the first time that we're celebrating Mother's Day without our mom. And so with all of those mixed emotions that come with Mother's Day, we thought today would be a good day to focus in on some of the maternal characteristics of God and to see how God can be there for us in the same ways that a mother a good mother can be there for us in some of the same ways we saw in that video. And we don't do that very often because most of the images in Scripture are masculine. We have God as father, we have God as king, as warrior, these sort of paternal sorts of images. Uh, so we thought today there are a few feminine maternal images in Scripture and we would look at those and see what they can teach us about God. And my hope is that we can sort of expand our vision of who God is. And we can avoid having sort of a thin caricature of God in favor of a more thick, robust view of who God is. So that's where we're going today, uh, because God ultimately is spirit. God is neither male nor female. God is not gendered. But in Scripture, we see the use of maternal and paternal language or gendered language around the use of God because it helps us to understand who God is. So God is spirit, but we understand more of who God is because we understand maternal and paternal images. So as we study today some of the paternal and maternal images, I hope that we can gain a bigger understanding of who God is. We're going to be in Isaiah uh, chapter 40 today if you want to follow along in your own Bible. Uh, we should have the 
words up on the screen as well, uh, so you can follow there as well. But before we dive into that, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, this is uh, a big book uh, in the Bible. So uh, Isaiah chapter 40 uh, comes at this point where Israel has been in exile. And uh, if you don't know your Old Testament history, that's okay. I'm going to give you a quick primer. The uh, Israelites had a covenant with God. And part of that covenant uh, was that God would bless the nation of Israel. And God would give them this wonderful land. But here's the thing. If they didn't kind of live up to their side of the covenant, then there would be some curses that would come on them. And they would be removed from that land. And so eventually that does happen. And the, the nation of Assyria and Babylon take the Israelites out of Israel and out of Jerusalem and they move them to their nation. So they are in exile. They are not in their promised land. Because the nation of Israel was unfaithful to their covenant, their side of the covenant. Now, what's interesting about that to me uh, is that uh, I just finished my Old Testament class, so I thought I'd take you to seminary for a moment. The covenant that God made with the Israelites was structured like most of the ancient Near East treaties of that time. And so, if we can pull up the treaty slide... Well, if you don't, that's okay. Uh, they would include, there you go, they would include an introduction, a prologue, some stipulations or kind of regulations uh, that each side would use, and then a document clause where the, where the document would be uh, housed or what they would do with it. There would be some witnesses uh, to that treaty, and then they would have some curses if uh, the stipulations weren't met, and as well as some blessings uh, or some good things that would happen if the stipulations were fulfilled. Now, what's interesting about the covenant that God makes with Israel is that there are a couple differences to the structure. Number one is that God was already completing the stipulations that he was under. So unlike most treaties where it's like, okay, we'll do this if we both do it, God had already done those things. God was already in motion and continues today to do the things that he promised. The other thing that's interesting is that most of the ancient treaties put the curses first and then the blessings, because if you don't do it right, you're going to get punished. But in God's treaty, if you look at scripture, the blessings are actually first. And part of the reason is that God blesses the nation of Israel regardless of whether or not they do the stipulations. That's God's nature. God is a blessing sort of God. And so, the nation of Israel gets these blessings, but God is also a just God. And so if the nation of Israel is not able to complete their side of the stipulations or the covenant, then there's going to be some consequences, and that happens. And that's part of what Isaiah has been talking about for the first 39 chapters. He's talking about this covenant that God has made with the people of Israel, and he's telling them, you guys got to be faithful to the covenant. And many of you would know this covenant. It's very simple. We know it as the Ten Commandments. You're not being faithful to the Ten Commandments. In fact, they were oppressing people. 
And so, rightly, God punishes them and allows the nations of Assyria and Babylon to come in and to rip them out of their land and to put them in exile. And that's where we stand when Isaiah chapter 9, 39 finishes. And Isaiah chapter 40 starts off with these words. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and to proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. That her sin has been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, Isaiah is announcing that the end of the exile has come. The nation of Israel, you have fulfilled your side. You have been adequately punished. You have served your punishment. But if you're an Israelite and you're hearing these words from Isaiah, you're sort of thinking and wondering, is God really for us? I mean, we've been experiencing all of these curses, these difficulties. Is God really for us? Maybe he's just ignoring us. And others are thinking like, well, maybe our God really isn't all that powerful. And the nations of Assyria and Babylon, their gods are really powerful. Well, Isaiah continues, a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepares the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah is saying, you may not believe it, but God is preparing a way. God is already at work doing things for you. And it has been revealed. And interestingly enough, it includes all people. And it even includes the Babylonians and the Assyrians, which would have blown their minds. And it's a word for us. When we face trials, God is always preparing a way to do the things that God has promised. And it will be revealed. And these words actually get echoed again at the beginning of Matthew, uh, before John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. And Today, God is still preparing the way for the second coming of Jesus, when all things will be made right, when God's glory will be fully revealed. Well, Isaiah continues in verse 6, A voice cries out, and I said, What shall I cry? And all people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. So this is God speaking through Isaiah. And he's talking about all people again, including those oppressive Babylonians and the oppressive Assyrians. 
And what I think God is doing here is he's addressing some of the concerns and things that the Israelites were questioning at the beginning. Is God really for us? Is God, does God really see us? Is our God really the most powerful God or are these other gods more powerful? Well, if all people are like grass that withers, then guess what? The Assyrians and the Babylonians, they're also going to wither. And so, if all people are, all people's faithfulness, as it says in this version, or attempts at goodness are like flowers that fall, then maybe the issue isn't that God is ignoring us or that God doesn't see us. Maybe the issue is that we haven't been faithful to the covenant. We haven't done our side of the promise that God made. The truth is that God's word endures forever. God's promises extend forever and ever. God is like a loving parent who never gives up on their child, no matter what they do. That's the image that we have of God. So God's promises are still true today. God's treaty with Israel was still intact. Actually, I think the curses proved that it was still intact because God cared enough to punish them. Just as a loving parent will appropriately punish their child because they love them. They want to make the course correction and help them to live in good ways. They want them to learn a lesson. And so the good news gets, to, gets announced in chapter 9 that God is here. God's here. God's among us. And that means, in verse 10, that we can see that the sovereign Lord comes with power and that he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This is a reminder that God has been at work. God is at work, and you can see it in various ways. Verse 10 talks about the fact that God is this powerful ruler with a mighty arm. We often think of that as sort of the stereotypical father image, right? Going to come in there and take over and kick butt, right? And then verse 11 goes on to talk about this tender, nurturing side, a shepherd image, carrying people close to the heart. And that nurturing image is often more of our traditional maternal image that we have. Isaiah's four, chapter 40, go on all the way through chapter 66. Isaiah continues this paternal image again and again. And because it's Mother's Day, I thought we'd focus on a couple of those maternal ones. So in chapter 42, Isaiah talks about God as a mother giving birth. That idea and that image creates this idea of long-suffering, right? Working hard to the point where this new life comes forth. 
And as I think about that, I mean, I'm not a mother, but like, this is for somebody that you've never met. And so, too, Jesus endures suffering because Jesus loves us and cares for us. Isaiah 49, verse 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Again, these are answering some of those questions that are rattling around in the Israelites' heads as they're sitting in exile. Is God really for us? Has God forgotten us? Obviously, a mother is unlikely to forget their child, right? We hope. But even in the small chance that a mother would perhaps, maybe, possibly forget their child, it says God never forgets us. God will never forget us. God is always thinking about us. It may not always seem like it, but God is with us and God is for us. Like a mighty father or a loving, nurturing mother, God is with us and God is for us. Wherever we are, God meets us at our point of need. If we need strength, God brings strength. If we need nurture, God will carry us. I hope that you can put your trust in God. Whatever you're facing, whatever trials and tribulations that you have, and if you're a parent, I hope that you can learn from God's paternal and maternal images and you can become a better parent for your children. On this Mother's Day, I hope that we can remember that when we're threatened, God is like that mama moose, willing to do whatever it takes to protect her young. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us, nurture us, the ways that you fight for us. Even when we are not obedient, you still love us and care for us. You were still fighting for the nation of Israel despite the ways that they had failed to live up to the stipulations that they had agreed to. And Lord, there are times when we fail to live up to your standards and we need your grace. We need your loving parental care to come alongside of us, give us a little course correction and help us to get back on the right path. Would you do that? Would you help us as parents uh, who have children to do that for our kids as well? Amen.